0: is so profoundly different to anyone or anything that this world has to offer. His ways are so different to our ways, and unless and until we have a personal encounter with the risen Christ, unless and until we encounter Jesus in our own personal experience, our lives simply cannot be transformed. Thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today, as we head towards Easter once more, we're going to take a bit of a different tack because the whole point of Easter, the whole point of Jesus dying and rising again for you and for me, is to set us free from our old life of sin and unleash His Holy Spirit power, His resurrection power into our lives. That's what we're going to take a look at today.
1: Who or what is God? Well, you go out and ask different people, and what you discover is that they have a picture of God in their heads that doesn't always have a whole bunch to do with who God actually is. It's almost like we reconstruct him in our own image to suit ourselves, to to suit our own agendas. But let me ask you something. If God is God, wouldn't it be worthwhile to kind of figure out exactly who he is? If God has the power, is the power, to transform our lives... Shouldn't we get to know him? I mean, who is he really and how do you and I relate to him? What if God is awesome and powerful and loving and kind and yet we spend the rest of our days missing out on that because we never really went after him to discover who he really is? So how do we discover who God really is? This week on the program, we're setting about laying hold of God's power to completely and utterly transform your life. And the place that we discover that power, the place that God the Holy Spirit has made available for us to lay hold of that power is in his word, the Bible. I mean, reading the Bible was something I would never have done in a million years. What do you think I am, some wacky fundamentalist? But you know something? Reading the Bible for myself has completely and utterly transformed my life. It didn't stunt me. didn't narrow my mind. It opened me up to the wonders and the possibility of a life in God's presence, to the power that God wants to unleash in my life. Over the last 20 or so years, I guess, I've spent a lot of time in that book. In fact, it's 66 books. I've had the chance to study and to learn and to think and to mull it all over. And truly, in those 20-odd years, I've really only scratched the surface of the Bible. But the more I think about it, the Bible seems to me to be basically about four things— Firstly, who God is, what He's like, and how He reacts to things. Secondly, what God's will and purposes are, and what what His plan is. Thirdly, where my life's headed. It's about who I am, made in His image, and how He sees me. Who, Who did He make me to be? And fourthly, how can I respond to God? You see, some people think that this last one, number four, responding to God, is all that the Bible has to offer. It's sort of like a bunch of rules and regulations. But, you know, as you read it for yourself, how to respond to God is quite simply not the main thing. It just kind of drops out at the end. It's a natural consequence of the first three. Those four things, again, who God is, what his will and purposes are, who you and I are in his eyes, and how we can respond to all of that. That's what the Bible contains. It's real and it's practical. It's about life. It's awesome and it's exciting, and it contains power unlimited to transform you, to transform your life, to heal you, to bless you, to empower you. Today I just want to look at the first one of those, who God is. I mean, if if God is God, shouldn't we figure out who he is, who he says he is? Where better to do that, to search him out, than in that great love letter that he's written to you and me, the Bible? Makes sense, doesn't it? When I first laid eyes on my wife Jackie, when I first saw her from a distance... I was speaking at a church and she was sitting in that congregation. As far as I was concerned, she was just another face in the crowd and and I'd never sought her out. I would never have come to know her and have a relationship with her. So I did seek her out and she responded to that. In a sense, picking up the Bible is seeking God out. It's the same thing. He responds. It's not a dead book written by men thousands of years ago. It's the living active word of God. And his promise is that when we pick it up, the Holy Spirit, God himself, will bring it to life in our hearts. God promised that he would pour his spirit out on all flesh and that he would write his words on our heart. By far the greatest reason for reading the Bible is to encounter God himself, to discover who he is and how he sees things and and what he's like and, and what he's up to. You see, it's easy to read this story and that story in the Bible and say, well, you know, that's a story about King David. That that one over there is a story about Moses or, or Peter or Paul. But so often in the pages of this great and mighty book, the great unseen player is God himself. And as I read every story, every verse, I keep asking myself, what does this tell me about God himself? What's he up to in this story? Let's take just one example. It's a short story. God makes a promise to this man called Abram who is childless. You know, Abram's an old man. His wife Sarai is an old woman and they're childless and yet God has called them to go from their home on this huge journey. God's promised them children, a multitude of children, but it's never happened. It's gone on for years and for years and for years. Abraham's out of his comfort zone. He's on this long, uncomfortable journey and he's frustrated. And this is what happens. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Elisa of Damascus. And Abram said, You have not given me offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir? But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. And God brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it unto him as righteousness. Now it's really easy to read this story and imagine that this is a story all about Abram. But the real question that we should be asking of this story is what does this short little story tell us about God? Here's Abram. He's frustrated. He's waiting for a breakthrough that's not coming. He's, he's trying to believe in God, but it's hard. I wonder if that sounds at all familiar to you. And it's going on for years and for years and for years, and he and his wife are old, and it's just absolutely impossible. But along comes God, and he does this kind of gentle and kind and wondrous and patient thing with Abram. He takes him outside to gaze up into this beautiful masterpiece called the Milky Way. Have you ever looked up at the stars away from the smog and the lights of a big city? It's just incredible how many stars are up there. And in the middle of Abram's frustration, God says, Abram, look up, look at this. This is how many descendants you're going to have. My promise is actually going to happen. And if you read the rest of the story, Abraham ultimately has a son with his wife, Sarah, called Isaac. He never saw all of these offspring happen. He never saw the rest of the promise fulfilled in his lifetime. But here is the good and the gracious and the powerful God who takes a man in the middle of his frustration and speaks lovingly to him. It's a story about God. It's a story about how God treats those whom he loves when they're at the end of their tether. The Bible's full of those kind of stories. You pick it up and you read them and, and wow, you discover who God really is. Do you see how to come to know God and how in our small, limited way, coming to understand him can make such a powerful difference in our lives? People often say to me, Bernie, you, you seem to be so enthusiastic about God. I'll tell you why. Because over the last couple of decades, I've discovered him in the pages of the Bible and discovered what he says about himself there, and those things have ended up being etched into my heart so that I can experience him in my life. I I can't help being enthusiastic about God. I can't help but wonder, where would I be if I hadn't laid hold of this power, power unlimited, in the living word of God? You know, one of the most common things that we all experience at some point or other in our lives is this dilemma, this crisis of, well, where is my life headed? I think it's because somehow we're hardwired to have hope for the future, to be able to look forward to a good future, to, to have a sense of significance, to make our mark and contribution in this world. Where is my life headed? Can be a question of quite some desperation. And for our lives to be headed in the right direction, we need a few things to come together. The way we live, the things that we control and the things that go on around us and the ones we can't control. See, that's not easy putting that all together. It's almost an impossible juggling act. But what if God has a plan? What if he has a purpose in the things that we've been traveling through? What What if there's meaning behind it all and he does want to do amazing things and, and he does want to be involved in the choices we make today? I mean, what if? Wouldn't you want to tap into that? Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want him to speak those plans and purposes gently into your heart and let them make a powerful difference to you here and now? Just think, what, what a powerful way that would be to live. Before the break, we saw that the biggest thing that we can get out of the Bible is discovering God himself, who he is, what he's like, how he reacts to different situations and to different things. To me, that's the greatest prize of them all, God himself, getting to know him, having having a wonderful, rich relationship that just keeps on getting deeper and deeper as time goes by. Today, I want to look at the second thing that the Bible's about, God's plans and purposes, both the big picture and specifically his plans and purposes for you and me. See, the big picture is so important. What's God's big plan? What's he up to? A friend, a colleague of mine, Dr. Graham Pratt, he and I were speaking a few years ago at an IT conference in Singapore. We were talking over a coffee about some technology thing, and he said to me, Bernie, context is so important. In fact, in understanding something, he said, context is almost everything. I'll never forget it. It's a pearl of wisdom. See, we want to know where our lives are headed, my life, my, my little piece of the puzzle, right? If we want to do that, we need to understand the big picture. God's great plan, as well as his specific plans and purposes for our lives. You know, when I read the Bible, the stories and the things that happened a long time ago, somehow God's plan for my life becomes so crystal clear. For me, life used to be just a here and now thing. It it was about wealth and career. In reality, that was empty and hollow and directionless. Where was it headed? What was the point? But when I encountered Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, When I started listening to him by reading the Bible, I began to get a handle on God's big picture. A big picture that's best summed up in something that God says over and over again from beginning to the end of his word, the Bible. Just one instance, Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. I will be your God, and you will be my people. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, you see God saying that and explaining it and sending Jesus so that it could happen. They're not just words on a page. This is the very heartbeat of God to call us back to Himself, to call us back home here and now and for all eternity, despite our rebellion, despite the fact that we rejected Him, despite all our mistakes, to give us a new life, an eternal life. That's not about rules and regulations but about a relationship with him. And right through the whole Bible, you see him engaging with people and drawing them closer. People people just like you and me, people in their weaknesses and their failures. Yet he loves them and touches them and reaches out to them. Okay, we see God's anger too sometimes. You see that God does get angry. And yet despite that, he still reaches out to his people from in the midst of his anger. And that's where we discover his grace. That's where we see Jesus dying on the cross for you and me. As we read those stories over and over again, his heartbeat touches ours. His desires touch us. His grace wraps itself around us and through us. I've only just started to wrap my heart around that as I've spent the last 20-odd years listening to him and, and hearing his words and his stories and his heartbeat in the pages of that wondrous book, the Bible. You know, you open the Bible and you read the story of Jesus dying on the cross and crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And from the page of that book, we hear God crying out to you and me here and now, don't you realize how much I love you? And you know, as well as this big picture of God's engagement of all humanity and his plans for humanity as a whole, the thing that for me so often leaps off the pages of his book are his specific plans for me. Sometimes we think, well, you know, God stopped talking. God had the prophets in the Old Testament. and He had Jesus in the New Testament. And he had some apostles in the New Testament. But that was back then. Today, though, here and now, God's stopped talking. But when we're traveling through times that are uncertain, when, when we want to give up, when we're in a relationship or in a thing that we thought God had called us to, but now we're not sure, we, we need God to speak. I can't tell you the number of times in the early days that I wanted to give up on this ministry of Christianity Works that I'm involved in still today. I I can't begin to tell you. It all looked so impossible. It all looked so hopeless. How could this guy from the IT industry ever do this thing called sharing God's love with people through the media? It was absolutely incongruous. But as I look back now, that regular habit of spending time in God's Word day after day is how he touched me how he whispered in my heart, just keep on going. That's what happens. You read God's word, you discover power. Power unlimited. Power to keep going with God's plan for your life. That's just what happens. One of the things that many people ponder in life is this question of who am I? We have so many pictures and images of who we should be thrust under our noses on a daily basis, and yet none of them rings true. So we end up feeling a bit like refugees lost. The media and the advertisers, they, they want to define success for us. They want to tell us what it means to be open-minded. They, they want to tell us what we should aspire to. They want to tell us what a happy, well-adjusted family looks like, and what beauty looks like, and, and what we have to achieve, and who we have to be, and, and what we have to look like in order to be successful. They tell us that if we don't look like this, we haven't made it, but we can if only we'll buy their product. Now, I don't know about you, but I can get so lost in that maze because my life never quite looks like those images of success that they wave under my nose. And so we compare ourselves with other people, people who look successful, and so often we come to the conclusion... That we aren't. We aren't successful. We aren't beautiful. We, we don't fit the mould. And so that question, who am I, rattles around in that empty, hollow void inside. Who am I? Have you ever been to one of those fairs, you know, where they have the Ferris wheels and the, the merry-go-rounds and the amusements and the sideshows? And down in Sideshow Alley, they have those distorted mirrors. You know, you walk in front of one and you look tall and skinny or short and fat or all wobbly and wavy. They're good fun for a little while, about a minute or two. But imagine if our mirrors at home were like that, all distorted. Not good. I remember when I was working as an IT consultant, one of the clients I used to work for, the front of their offices, had this glass that was a perfect distortion of me. It made me look just a bit slimmer and just a bit taller. You know, I could have stood in front of that door all day long to look at myself. We'd like to have a mirror like that in the home, wouldn't we? Hmm. Or would we? My hunch is whenever we get a distorted image of ourselves, of who we are, that's not a good thing, even if we happen to like the distorted image better than the real one. For example, the distorted image that society puts up, that you, you can be whoever you want to be, it's all up to you, it's all out there, just go and, and be whoever you want to be. Now I'm 5 foot 9 inches or about 174 centimetres tall, so it doesn't matter how much I want to be a famous basketball player. I'm never going to be a basketball player. In fact, there are some things in life that I'm decidedly not good at. If I try to be those things and do those things, it'll be a bad fit. Maybe that's why so many people aren't happy, because they're trying to do jobs or be someone that they're quite simply not cut out to be. Aspiring to something that we're never going to be good at is one of the worst things that we can do in the world. I wonder if that's why there are so many people who literally hate their jobs. I was looking at a recent job satisfaction survey on the internet. Have a listen to these stats. 45% of workers say that they're either satisfied or extremely satisfied with their jobs. You know what that means? That means that 55% or over half aren't. Of the 45% who said they were happy, less than half again, in fact only 20% felt that they were passionate about their jobs. That means that 80% of people going to work don't feel passionate about their jobs, and 33%, fully a third of people, believe they'd reached a dead end in their careers, that there was no hope for the future. 21% were eager to change careers. Now, I think those statistics are a tragedy. The vast majority of people aren't passionate about what they do every day. So many people aren't enjoying their lives. But let's look at the flip side of the coin. There are a whole bunch of people wandering around in life, believing with every fibre of their being that they're worthless. Oh, I'm only a stay-at-home mum. I'm only a clerk. I'm not as smart or as good-looking or as talented or or as successful or as wealthy or as whatever as the next person is. So many people and advertisers and product managers and and self-styled gurus out there want to tell us who we should be and how we should get there. And if we aren't, we need to get onto their program. Amidst all of that, here's the question, who am I? Who are you in the cosmos, in the scheme of things? How do you define your worth and who you actually are? And if you're living your life that way, then you're living a powerless life, a life that will ultimately count for nothing. In a very real sense, that was the life that I was living until I discovered Jesus and what he had to say about me, how God sees me, what what his view of me from heaven's balcony looks like. And that's something that you find in the Bible over and over again. I want to set you a challenge today. I want you to read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, only a few pages, and I want you to write down all the things that just those three chapters say about you. Let me give you the first few. You are a saint. Grace and peace are yours. You're already blessed with every spiritual blessing. You were chosen before the creation of the world. You were predestined, adopted into God's family, redeemed, forgiven... God's grace is being lavished on you. Wisdom and understanding are yours. God's will is being made known to you. And I haven't even arrived at the 10th verse of the first chapter yet. Do you get it? The Bible presents a radically different view of who you are. The Bible tells you who God says you are. So instead of believing the distorted images that the world throws back at you, you can see a crystal clear, accurate representation of who you are. As one of my Bible college professors, Dr. Barry Chant, often used to say, you and I need to ditch our worldly self-image and develop a faith image by discovering and believing what God has to say about you. Because when you know who you really are, who you are in Christ, you will have laid hold of the power to be who God made you to be. It's a power that will completely and utterly and radically transform your life.
0: That's about all that we have time for. But before we go, don't forget that you can receive Bernie Z devotional fresh into your inbox each day. A powerful scripture verse together with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement to help you be all that God made you to be. You can watch the video, listen to the audio or read the devotional. It's completely up to you. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and you'll find the fresh e-devotional sign up right there at the top of the homepage. And when you do subscribe, you'll immediately receive a free copy of Bernie's ebook, How Can I Hear God Speak to Me? That web address again is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer, and you've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet.